Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, March 25th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, who's running for public office this year? Chuck Grassley and another Supreme Court nomination. And the legislative session begins to wind down. Knock on wood. Before we get started, we want to remind you that support for this podcast is provided by New Pioneer Co-op, which is celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries, with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through co-op cart at newpi.coop. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. I've got butane in my veins today. <laughs> We're cooking with gas. And Gazette <laughs> Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. I think that's bad for the environment, guys. Okay. So, no. Good morning. <laughs> We'll address those emissions later. First up this week, the filing period for candidates to run for office in Iowa in 2022 officially closed last Friday, uh, shortly after we recorded last week's podcast. So we now have a clear picture of who's running for what this year. There were no real big surprises in the top of the ticket races. Uh, All of the candidates who said they're running for governor or senator Um, and Congress managed to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. Uh, But we wanted to talk today instead about the statehouse level, um, or even if there's any local races. Uh, So let's just go around the horn here, and I'll ask each of you what are the most interesting races in your area now that we have a complete picture of who's running. Uh, Jared, let's start with you. What what are some of the more interesting races? Who are some of the more interesting candidates out there in Siouxland? Yeah, well, I'll start with uh, right basically in the Sioux City area specifically first, and that's with the uh, District 2 race for state rep. Uh, is going to be something that I think deserves attention because it's going to be uh, Steve Hansen, who's won a lot of races uh, going up against uh, Bob Henderson, who he's beaten races before, but the or at least one race before. But the district boundaries are a little bit different now, and Bob Henderson, who's a local party guy, uh, seems to think that the change in the district is something that's going to favor him. And so it's it's very interesting with those change in districts. And also, you know, that's pretty good um, competition there to have a guy who's an incumbent up against a guy who's the local party leader. That's a pretty strong uh, challenger that you don't necessarily always see with some of these state rep uh, races. And then I am uh, plenty interested, too, in some of the races in our coverage area where in Republican incumbents are getting uh, challenged. One of those is uh, Dennis Bush, who's from uh, Cherokee. He's got two primary opponents. And then uh, elsewhere, we talked about it last week too, uh, House Majority Leader uh, Matt Winchettle, uh is being challenged in the primaries. I don't know how like uh, quixotic of a challenge that is, but it it's always interesting to see a majority leader getting uh, challenged like that. And might be, you know, one of those kind of signs of a little bit of uh, discontent uh, among some of the the party diehards. So, yeah, uh, and another one, and it, this may be uh, a little bit beyond the the journal's uh, reach or boundaries, but uh, kind of up there in Northwest Iowa, Skyler Wheeler also yep. has a Republican kind of, also has um, um, an 
a, a primary challenge. And that's an interesting one to me because, uh, you know, you mentioned with the wind chill challenge and, and um, it it's not persistent, but it's also not unheard of to hear grumblings from um, some wings of the Republican Party about the House leadership in, in particular, Pat Grassley, and, and maybe to some degree, Matt Winchettel. Skyler Wheeler, though, is not, I, I, th- I don't I think I'm being unfair by saying he's not a middle of the road, moderate Republican. No. I, mean, I think he's pretty. No, he, and he would say that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so it's interesting to me that, that he has a, now I don't know much about Kendall Zilstra. Maybe, maybe that person is from the <laughs> moderate centrist when bringing a primary challenge from that direction. I honestly don't know that that one as much as anything, maybe feels like um, Zilstra just thinking if he's ever going to run, this is the best chance since mm-hmm. it is a wholly new uh, yeah, district, district and one that uh, Skyler Wheeler is actually having to move into because he uh, did not live in the newly drawn district district when that got solidified. So, and and the other one, just real quick, Jared, there's no race because I see he doesn't have an opponent. Yeah, I mean you can always nominate a conventions. Uh, that's the caveat we should add to all this that uh, if there's any empty races, the the party has the option to add a candidate at convention. Um, but J.D. Shulton, uh, yep. as of right now, is going to be a state legislator uh, next year. The Democrat who, um, in many real ways, took down Steve King. Um, he wasn't successful in beating Steve King, but that close race uh, motivated Republicans to put up a primary challenge. And then Randy Feenstra uh, took out Steve King two days, two years later. Um, uh, so as of right now, J.D.'s the District 1 representative unless Republicans nominate someone. Is that a safe Democratic district um, uh, up there, Jared? I, I, I assume that's Chris Hall's district that he's more, retiring more, from? More or less. There, there's yeah. a lot of uh, overlap uh, between those. And I, I think I talked about it a little last week, too, that if they pick – if, like, Republicans had, like, the ideal, like, candidate that you could craft in a lab, maybe they could make it an interesting race. But since, like, you know, the local party guy, Bob Henderson's running in a different race, I don't yeah. know – who else in the local area would have enough pull that would be a bigger name than J.D. Shulton is here. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, Sarah, how about over in the Quad Cities? What's uh, what races and candidates are you keeping an eye on? Yeah. So for the June 7th primary, um, one interesting race race that I think will be good to keep an eye on is uh, Senate District 47. There is uh, a Republican primary between two city council members, uh, sitting city council members, Scott Webster of uh, Bettendorf and Barry Long of LeClaire. So the district covers like Bettendorf and LeClaire. And um, and so those two are both sitting city council members and pretty active in their communities. And then um, and then the Democratic challenger um, who doesn't currently have a primary opponent um, is Mary Figaro, who's uh, from Bettendorf and she's an attorney. So um, that it that would be, I think, an interesting race to watch because none of those folks have held office before. Uh, at, I should say at the state representative or state Senate level. Um, and then in the House, um, House District 94, um, Phyllis Theed, uh, a longtime legislator uh, in uh, the Iowa House, um, her district, which has been largely an urban district in Bettendorf and parts of Davenport, is now has now kind of creeped upward and is uh, encompassing northern rural Scott County and Eldridge, which um, typically Democrats just don't fare as well in, in rural rural areas. So um, she's facing a, a challenge from 
no, no primary challenge, but in the general election, she'll go up against Mike Vondren, who she's beat before um, he ran in the 2020 race, but he seems to think he has a better chance now that the district is redrawn. So that will also be uh, a race to watch. Um, other than that, though, there, uh, Norlin Mumpson, who, uh, legislator from DeWitt who introduced the cameras in schools bill. He's facing a challenge from Democrat Kay Pence and Eldridge. And that was like one of her, um, she noted that specifically in the reason why she wanted to run, because there were a lot of um, school teachers and uh, school professionals that were really upset about, about that bill. So. Yeah. Interesting. Is, is Kay Pence, does she have an education background herself or, or was she? No, she is. Okay. She refers to herself as a, a career union representative. So, okay. um, so she does a lot. I, I, it sounds like she's done um, work with negotiating between unions and companies and things. So, uh, so no, she does not have an education background. Okay. But so yeah, so that'd be interesting. I wanted to go back and ask you that first one you talked about, Senate District Forty Seven. So there's obviously no incumbent in that race. Do you have a sense, and these are all newly drawn, so it's tough. Do you have a sense of what the political composition of that district is? Is that a district that favors Republicans or Democrats, or is it balanced? Yeah, that's a good question because it does it covers a lot of Bettendorf and then um, and uh, stretches along the river in the like rural Pleasant Valley area and then Leclaire, and so it really. Honestly, I think it could really probably go either way. Um, I'd have to take a deeper dive into um, the data, but like Gary Moore in the house is like front, his district is kind of encompassing some of that area okay. and he's a Republican. So um, I think it really depends on the local name recognition and the, and uh, how much they, they uh, get people out to vote. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Uh Todd, let's swing by your neck of the woods. What's going on in Cedar Rapids? Well, there's a, a pretty interesting Democratic primary in Senate 37, which I can see Senate District 37's natural beauty right out of the, the back of my, <laughs> my back, out my back door. If you, you, if you like brown grass and uh, neutrally co- colored vinyl suburban castles. Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, so you got uh, Molly Donahue, who's a state representative uh, currently, and, and then she's being challenged. She's running for the Senate District, and Austin Frerich, uh, who lives in Marion, is, is running. He's a, a writer and an environmental advocate, and there's been a little drama. Uh, Frerich accused Donahue of setting up a fake Twitter account to criticize him, and it you know it was it would tweet. Things like, you know, that he hasn't lived in the district very long, and even though he did grow up in Cedar Rapids. Uh, and the, the only tweets that this account liked are Molly Donahue tweets, which led some people to say, huh, what's going on here? She that's, denied it. Said she, can't con- stuff. <laughs> <laughs> said she can't she can't control her friends who set up this thing, but it has since been uh, deleted. Yeah. So we're, we're off to a good start here in oh, Senate boy. District 37. Uh, another interesting Senate primary is in uh, 42, where uh, the incumbent Charlie McClintock uh, is potentially regarded as not conservative enough. And so he has two challengers, Coleman Silbernagel, which for those of you who 
cover this area. I, I pity you if you have to cover <laughs> Senator Silbernagel and write his name a lot. But oh, you know, or say it. <laughs> I know I have it written down here. I I should have put the phonetic stuff. Uh, and then Justin <laughs> Justin Lawson, who uh, has run for city council in Cedar Rapids. I think he was Lynn County GOP chair. Uh, at one point when we used to have community members on our editorial board, he was one of them. And I, I suspect that that collaboration will be kept secret by his campaign, that he he was once a member of the ultra-left Radical Socialist Gazette editorial board. Uh, an interesting, the Democrat in that race, that one of those three candidates will challenge is Jessica Wiskus, who lives near Lisbon, and she was she decided to run after being active in the anti-pipeline movement. So she's written some guest columns for us about that, and uh, yeah, so that was her motivation to run. So that'll be sort of interesting to see if she can gain any traction in a Republican district on that on that issue. Uh, and one other interesting note in Cedar Rapids, it's an uncontested seat, but Sammy Sheets, the Democrat, has no opponent, and he has said that he'll be the first Arab American to be elected to the legislature. I, I don't, I haven't seen anyone challenge that, so I, I tend to believe him. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things that yeah, that's pretty much the answer. Like I haven't done the due diligence to fact check that, but it seems pretty easy to believe. Um, and as we said, as long as he doesn't have an opponent right now, and and it, unless Republicans nominate someone at convention. Um, yeah, they've, the they've sort of left multiple Cedar Rapids seats mm-hmm. without Republican opponents. So Yeah, I think, which happens in yeah, those heavy yeah, I, districts. Yep. yep. If, if I was going to ask you real – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jared. I was just going to say if uh, anyone that's running in any of these races wants me to set up an attack account for them, I will do that. <laughs> and I won't like tweets uh, from the, the campaign that I'm working for. I can – I, I have to manage several accounts for work here since I'm the online editor, and I never accidentally like stuff from the wrong account. So you can you can entrust me with uh, those responsibilities. But what? But you know, amateur hour is so much fun, more fun for journalists. You know, because <laughs> yeah. that's that's, that's uh, yeah. I I I don't think that account was around very long because it was it was uh, it didn't take much sleuthing. If you need someone who knows how to not leave a trail, Jared's your man. Just yep. email us here at the podcast, and we'll we'll get you in touch with Jared. Absolutely. Uh, real quick, Todd, before we move on from you, I wanted to ask you. So, as I'm looking at this, and you talked about that District 42 race, that's a a rare, interesting, and it's a rare race where there's primaries on both sides. Is that a, is that do I take that to mean that's a fairly balanced kind of open up for grabs district there? On 42, you said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, and and... I mean, I think the Republicans will be favored. Because uh, you have two Democrats running, too, Bruce Gardner and, and Jessica Wiskus. Yeah, Bruce Gardner. Sorry, I forgot him. Mm-hmm. Didn't mean to. Sorry, Bruce. No. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it used to be sort of a swing district or that area. I mean, this is a newly drawn district, but that right. that's sort of part of the, because it, you know, it, it, it takes in some of Cedar Rapids and it takes in rural areas. And so, you know, I think both parties see an opportunity, but traditionally I, in, you know, the last four elections, it's, it's trended red, like so many other okay. districts like that. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I'll just take a turn here and add a few um, in my neck of the woods where I live, which isn't in any of our coverage areas, but um, I'm the host and I get to talk now. So tough. And now you got to listen to me. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, in seriousness, it'll be an interesting race because I'm in Ankeny um, and that's had some interesting races uh, in recent years. And, and so I'm in the district where Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitfer saw the shifting numbers and decided uh, he might like to view off his front porch better in northern rural Polk County instead. Uh, so uh, Senator Whitford will no longer be my senator. He's he's moving. Um, and uh, so it'll be an open seat, essentially, race. And, and Mike Buslo, who's coming over from his very uh, young term in the House, uh, will be running for that Senate seat for Republicans. Um, and he'll be going against Todd Brady, whose name might not jump off the page at you. But uh, if you were active on Twitter, uh, especially during the peak of the pandemic and and, and uh, as the vaccines were rolling out, Todd Brady is the inventor, the creator, uh, I should say, of, of the vaccine. What did he call it? Vaccine hunter, I think. Yeah, vaccine I think tracker, that's right. yep, Whatever it was. But yep. he was the guy who was tweeting out all the places you could that there were you know, open appointments for the vaccine when, in, during that first rush. Uh, so he's running for this day as the Democrat in that, in that Ankeny seat. Um, uh, a couple uh, from a statewide perspective and just some interesting primaries that are out there. Um, we've got a democratic primary in the secretary of state race, which is as we expected a couple of County auditors, Joel Miller of Lynn County, Eric Van Lanker of, of Clinton County. So that'll be an interesting uh, primary. Um, and for all the talk we had about uh, incumbent legislators being thrown against each other because of redistricting, uh, we only actually have three, uh, uh, only a total of five incumbent versus incumbent races and only three in a primary. Um, they're all Republican and they're all in the House. Um, Dave, Dean Fisher and David Maxwell um, in Tame and Powersheet counties. Kind of an interesting one shaping up Stephen Bradley and Lee Hine in eastern Iowa, Jones and Jackson counties. This is another one of those where um, there's a couple of votes that Lee Hine has taken or positions that he's taken that are deemed to be a little too moderate for certain uh -oh. wings of the party. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I'm trying to remember. I think it's maybe Bob Vanderplatz's. Don't quote me on this and, and forgive me, uh, but I think it's maybe Bob Vanderplatz's organization that has come out and endorsed Stephen Bradley in that in that primary. Um, and then another one is uh, uh, Joel Mitchell and Jeff uh, Shipley, uh, which is a district that has Van Buren County, obviously the Fairfield area and, and some others there. Um, uh, you throw around the world word interesting when you're talking about Jeff Shipley um, a lot, but uh, <laughs> that will be an interesting race because of the different dynamics in those two legislators, too. And then as you look ahead to the general where the candidates don't have any primaries, we have two incumbent versus incumbent general election races uh, shaping up. The one that's going to be super fascinating is here in the Des Moines suburbs, uh, Republican Jake Chapman, uh, and he of the let's uh, put teachers in jails for giving out dirty books uh, bill um, versus Sarah Trone Garriott, uh, the Democrat, and that's in Dallas County, the western suburbs here um that will obviously be a really interesting race not just because of the candidates but also because that's one of those districts that's been becoming a little more blue 
um, in, in, in recent years. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting race. Um, and then the other one is Republican Don Driscoll uh, will face Democrat Kevin Kenney uh, over in Johnson, Johnson, Washington, and Iowa counties. Um, and then maybe just one more that I find fascinating. Uh, we, we Again, back here in the western Des Moines suburbs in the House, the Republican candidate is former Congressman David Young. So we have a former congressional candidate in J.D. Shulton on his way to the House and, and a former congressman, David Young, running for the House. And then the Democrat will either be Sonia. Oh, man, I should have. Height Susan. Height Susan. Thank you. I'm not even going to say it. You heard them. Sonia, what they said, uh, <laughs> who's a former Des Moines TV journalist. And I know Sonia real well. So next time I see her, I'm going to be embarrassed to say hi. Um, uh, who She now works in the state auditor's office and then Waukee attorney Tom Walton. So there's some interesting kind of name recognition there uh, if for this little house race in Western Des Moines. All right. We know the candidates. We know the scorecard. Obviously, we'll be following these throughout the uh, the rest of the primary season and into the summer. So stick around for more on these races and more staying under the golden dome this week. State legislators are continuing their efforts to pass a bottle bill, otherwise known as changes to the state's 40 year old recycling law. Some lawmakers are particularly fired up warning that they're sick of waiting for the stakeholders to reach an agreement and that they're going to pass a bill, whether those stakeholders like it or not. That's starting to feel a little bit like an empty threat, though, because it appears that the House and Senate are on two different paths with their bottle bills, so they may not be passing one after all, despite those warnings. Uh, Todd, let me ask you, is this the year the bottle bill makes it to the governor, or is this just another bottle bill Groundhog's Day? Oh, I tend to think it's another Groundhog's Day, but can can uh, I just stop you real quick and say that's the perfect way to start any answer at all about a bottle bill question? Just, I just oh we you know <laughs> the this is one of those issues that you know newspapers and media outlets are convinced that people care deeply about, but I I'm just not one of those people. So uh, you know if I have to throw my cans in the recycling bin, so be it. If we can take them back to the can shed get our, you know, get our bag and bag them up and take them there and get a little cash, you know, that's, that's fine too. Uh, I think tinkering with it too much or making it more difficult for people to bring back their cans and, uh, you know, leaving the financial system, you know, largely intact, which isn't doing, which, which is discouraging redemption centers from, you know, operating. Uh, and I mean, it seems like when the if, if something here's what here's if something does happen, it's going to be something that people don't like, and then it's but the only thing that will really the only focus will be is to get those the money from the unredeemed cans into the taxpayer relief fund, you know tens of millions of dollars from people that like you Aaron who don't throw your your cans in the in don't <laughs> take your cans back for deposit uh so alert. Think, that's coming later in this yeah yeah i was just te- <laughs> it was just a tease so <laughs> up next uh, but yeah i i mean i i think it seems like everything that this legislature does with regard to this sort of stuff is kind of like how can we squeeze out a few more dollars to put in the tax payer relief fund for when we eliminate the income tax and you know, because that's going to be 
an interesting scenario when that happens. So, yeah, I think if anything happens, that's going to happen. And then they may do things that Iowans don't like because polls show clearly that Iowans like the bottle bill and they would like to, it, it expanded to other containers and go to 10 cents. But the legislature under current management is not interested in any of that. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that the, the, the money out there. So, and that's something the Senate bill, uh, you know, to tried to do is take that money that for the people who um, buy their soda bottles and cans, but don't, take so they pay the five cents but they don't go and redeem that so that money's out there is there a way for the state to recoup that and as you said the senate bill puts it in the taxpayer trust fund um which is why we may hear dan dawson going around now senator dan dawson calling the bottle deposit law a tax on iowans um it's the only tax i know of that you get back um at the end of the day but anyways i i found that in i'd like and I haven't had a chance to talk to Senator Rosenboom, who's that was his bill, or Senator Schultz, who, who ran it, because I'd be interesting to act. That's kind of an interesting, you know, approach. But wouldn't if this is the recycling program, wouldn't you want to take that money and put it towards something that keeps the recycling program going, rather than tossing it in the taxpayer trust fund? put it towards helping the redemption centers or, or some, some way to, to or, or some, you know, environmental purpose or the parks. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whoa, like that. Whoa, they, whoa, right. whoa now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. That, that, that makes sense. Well, then, then this, just this whole idea that we're tired of waiting for the stakeholders to agree. It's like, so you're going to let, you're going to pass a bill that the people actually involved in and that are affected by it don't like, but just because you want to get it off the, off the plate, it's like, I don't know. That doesn't seem like uh, optimal lawmaking, but you know, yeah, I, I guess I, I get it. So, so, and I wanted to, uh, uh, as Todd noted, I, I wanted to just have this quick conversation because I, I also feel like maybe, and it's because I'm a captive and not a native Iowan that I, I every time the bottle bill comes up, I find this, so fascinating because growing up in Wisconsin, we didn't have the, obviously one of the majority of the states that don't have a deposit law. And so you just threw your recycling in the recycling bin and, and that was it. So, and so that's what we still do. I am one of those as Todd noted that, that, that doesn't redeem. Um, so I'm just curious, Sarah, Sarah, do you redeem your bottles and cans or, or do you chuck them or do you, do you not recycle at all? Oh no, I recycle. Oh, no, okay, we just <laughs> we just put them in the in the recycling, you know, wash them out, put them in the recycling. But when I was a kid, I grew up in DeWitt and so we my mom would we'd put all of our cans and and uh and bottles into a separate uh brown paper bag and then we'd take them to the our local grocery store and we'd get a slip of paper and then we would just do our grocery shopping and then we'd get, you know, like two or three dollars off our grocery bill. So it wasn't like crazy um we just kind of made it a part of our weekly shopping routine yeah i will say now that you say that um so wisconsin didn't have a a a deposit law but they did have there were places that would buy your aluminum cans um uh kind of like a redemption center does now um so i do have ptsd from having to we would just throw all our aluminum cans into a big black garbage bag and then when we felt we had enough to make it worth a trip to i don't know i can't remember where we took them to it 
some kind of center that did this, um, we'd have to crunch them all. That that oh. was the only way they expected. So we so I have PTSD from standing out in my garage for hours on end, just stepping on cans to aluminum cans to crunch them uh, down to get them back in the bag and take them. Uh, maybe that's why I just don't bother with the redemption now. I already did my work on this. Jared, what do you do with your recycling? Well, uh, just uh, last week, actually, when my uh, when my girlfriend came up to visit from uh, Kansas City, she brought like two full brown paper grocery bags of cans. Uh, if that tells you whether or not I'm a redemption guy, uh, I I love it. I love going to a smelly room where the floor is sticky with diet right cola. I love when the guy at the redemption center is blasting like classic rock on a boom box and the cord for the boom box is frayed. I love printing out my receipt and getting like $5 back. Uh, I'm a big fan of all of that, but I get uh, that I'm probably not the norm with that. Uh, Most people aren't like me who will stop on the sidewalk to pick up a nickel when I see one. Um, I, I, I really think what, needs to happen among other things is obviously the rate needs to get up if you want more people to participate in this like michigan uh has a 10 cent return fee and they have since the 70s if i remember correctly and they have like the highest return rate of any state that has a bottle law Mm -hmm. and so it seems like at bare minimum if you can do nothing else with this you at least need to up the rate if you actually care about people recycling and taking this seriously and participating so yep yep jared at, at your redemption center, do they like pick out the really interesting bottles and cans and like unique ones and like put them on display somewhere in the redemption center? Oh yeah, because well, because like th- there will always be plenty that the machines just don't like and will kick back, and then those are just you know lining all the machines in the in the facility. My mine also has a a giant American flag made out of cans. Oh, oh wonderful! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. See, it's really easy here. They. The can shed will give you a tall cardboard box with a hole in the top and a bag to put in it, and you fill it. If you fill it, they just give you twelve bucks. I mean, that's it's just a flat fee. It's pretty mm-hmm. easy, but but and also, Aaron, I thought all drinks in Wisconsin either came from a brewery or the bubbler. <laughs> water water fountain. <laughs> We had that was an uh, so we're getting way off on a tangent here, so I'll make this quick. But <laughs> that's you exactly actually what I'm had bubbler do. versus water fountain within Wisconsin. Like Jeez. I think, if I remember right, in Southwest Wisconsin, I call we call them bubblers, but over like by Milwaukee, they call them water fountains. Maybe I'm, I'm I just remember that yeah, we had geographic diversity even within the state. That it was polarization, is what it was, and that's that, where it probably all this started. That's right. That and um, taste great, less filling. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, another tangent, but I just made a joke, and the olds are laughing, and the youngs are not, and that I just dated. I just dated the podcast members. Just look up classic Miller Lite commercials on YouTube yeah. or something. And... <laughs> oh, God, that was depressing. Oh. <laughs> At least you didn't say, let it be low and brow. <laughs> <laughs> I have only myself to blame. I did it to myself. <laughs> Moving on now in a much, much more depressed fashion. Um, finally, this week, uh, we leave Des Moines and head out to Washington, D.C., where Iowa's senior U.S. Senator Chuck Grasley once again finds himself in the thick of a U.S. Supreme Court nomination 
this time from the minority party in a change of pace from the recent ventures. Uh, Democrats have nominated Ketanji Brown Jackson and God help me and forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. Um, she would become the first black woman to ever sit on the high court. And during his weekly conference call with our reporters, Senator Grassley talked a little bit about how that nomination process is going. Sarah, I believe you were on that call. Yeah. Um, so he didn't say one way or the other how he was going to vote, but he did lay out um, some arguments to why he might not vote for her. And I think kind of everybody, all readers and people watching are kind of of the mind that this is just going to end up on a party line vote. But um, he did say he thought that uh, um Chairman Dick Durbin was running a fair hearing, um, and some some of his Republican colleagues have kind of criticized Durbin for editorializing comments when you know they've talked about um, uh, what Durbin has called um, conspiracy theories and uh, and political posturing. So um, so he did seem to think that Dick Durbin was doing a, a fair job running the hearing, um, but. In a previous press call, Grassley had said essentially that he was going to ask about um, Ketanji Brown Jackson's uh, judicial philosophy and whether you know she took a more strict approach to the Constitution, the um, more originalist interpretation where you interpret the Constitution as it was written when it was written. And, and she said during when he asked her that on um, Tuesday, I believe, uh, she did say she didn't believe in a living Constitution, which essentially was, you know, if uh, justices it kind of infused their policy or beliefs into um, this living constitution or it updates uh, or um, evolves and changes and grows along with uh, society. So she said she didn't believe in that. And he said that that was gratifying to hear. Um, he said that she was very smart and graceful in her comments, but, and, but also said, you know, that he would look forward to seeing in the next so many years, um, whether she, carried out that vision or whether, you know, she was just saying that for, for the hearing. So, um, so yeah, so it didn't, I think he kind of laid out a scenario where he probably was unlikely to, to vote for her, even though he said he hadn't made up his mind. Um, and like he didn't, he didn't vote for her, um, when she was at previously up for a nomination, um, for a judicial circuit. So, uh, but he obviously was was coy about that. But. Yeah, I, I I think it's fair to say, like you've kind of pointed out, that the writing does seem to be on the wall. He seems to be pretty much laying the groundwork for uh, the direction it certainly appears his vote is headed. Um, Todd, from from your seat there in, in Cedar Rapids, how has this nomination process played out compared to the uh, recent ones under the the previous administration and and uh, different uh, majority party? Well, I think one thing they all have in common is that, you know, senators who consider themselves to be presidential timber are using these hearings to raise their to raise their stature. And because it's mostly Republicans doing that now, it's you're sort of wading into some of the the darker, you know, issues that they're trying to hammer Democrats on. I mean, you got Marsha Blackburn accusing her of you know, being an advocate for critical race theory and 
Ted Cruz going along those same lines, accusing her of being on the board of a private school that, you know, advocates anti-racism. And it turns out Ted Cruz's kids go to a school in Houston that does the exact same thing. Uh, then they, you know, Josh Hawley, Senator from QAnon is, you know, advocating that she or arguing that she's been light on child pornographers when even the National Review says that's a far-fetched notion. And she's basically sentenced them in similar ways to other federal judges because of sentencing guidelines. So it's, you know, it's been sort of a similar, but also maybe a, a few clicks more shameful that some Republicans are sort of see this as retribution for how shoddily they believe Brett Kavanaugh was was treated, although uh, Judge Jackson has been far more calm in the face of this onslaught than, than Justice Kavanaugh, who sort of lost his temper. Uh, he, he likes, likes beer. beer. Yeah, right, as you may, <laughs> as you may remember. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's all about, I mean, this is, you know, of course, all about politics and, and about, you know, Republicans sort of hammering these themes that they're, that they're using all over the country that, you know, Democrats are soft on crime, uh, want to defund the police. Uh, they're part of a secret pedophilia ring. I mean, just all of this sort of both normal and really abnormal stuff. And so that's, it's been reflected in this and she's going to get confirmed. I see Joe Manchin finally came around today and said, Oh, okay, I'll, I'll vote for her. He decided not to, not to be the fly in the ointment this time, which I guess is progress. <laughs> uh, before we close this out, Jared, I, I apologize. I realized I didn't have a question for you in this block. So maybe I'll just throw this one at you um, uh, on the fly. I saw some of his, speaking of Senator Cruz, I saw some of his questioning, and I'm wondering if you've followed and tracked if he has learned yet whether he is allowed to say that he's an Asian man. Is, has Senator Cruz figured that out yet? Uh, I, I I don't think he's uh, he's gotten to the bottom of that, uh, that <laughs> question yet. Um, more more deep research is uh, is needed. Okay. Okay. Um, one of one of my favorite things always to, to point out whenever these uh, Supreme Court uh, hearings come up uh, is just the fact that you basically there aren't any qualifications for who can become a Supreme Court justice. Like you don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to like there's no age requirement as there is with other offices. So like eventually one day we could just get some guy <laughs> becoming a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> so so there's hope for former President Trump if he doesn't run or doesn't win the next election he could just have asked for the Republicans to nominate him to the Supreme Court. Yep. There we go. Well, w- we assume that is in the plans and and when that does happen we'll talk about it on a future episode but that's it for this edition of on iowa politics if you enjoyed it tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts you can send fan mail to podcasts at the and stay up to date on our team's coverage of the iowa legislature by scribing subscribing to the capital digest newsletter online under the iowa legislature tab at the can you just scribe something instead of subscribing is, is that a thing oh yeah <laughs> Okay, don't don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. 
The Olympics will play us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.